0: And hello, hello. Welcome to the End Evil Podcast. This is Chris Jansen. And evil is a destruction of freedom. Thanks for joining me tonight, folks. Tonight is a very important discussion. It's a fundamental discussion, a cornerstone discussion. And it looks like I have um, a guest with me tonight. I'm going to bring in the wonderful Chris Nelson. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Glad to be here. Hello. Yeah. How's this week? Putting you feeling better? Yeah, yeah,
1: not not sick. Uh, just uh, my my three year old that's sick, and he'll get better, <laughs> as they always do. And then you'll get sick yeah. again. Part of the
0: process, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, thinking this week about doing some defining and redefining on natural law. It seems like. It's such a basic thing, and yet there's complexities and subtleties. And I feel like more often than not, people don't really know what I'm talking about when I use the terms or the term natural law. And I think it's a good refresher for anyone and everyone to have that discussion. So um, I don't know if you want to start us off, Chris, with your thoughts, or I have some slides we can share. Um, Sure. What do you think? Do most people you talk to know what you're talking about if you use the term natural law?
1: Um not usually because it's not uh it's one of those things that are occulted, you know, it's the occult is not that it's necessarily okay. hidden in that it's impossible to find. Um but it's just not talked about in academia, in colleges, universities, the government doesn't talk about it, schools don't teach it. You know it's not something that's talked about, but you can find books on that. you can find people talking about it. So you have to go looking for it, so it's hidden in that sense, so it's just not part of the the mainstream uh mainstream topics of conversation and uh yeah, people think of law as whatever the government tells them is law, whatever people who are elected create as law and before any of that existed, well, that's what the natural law is, or just law. It's not man's law, is what existed before anyone decided that they were going to make up made-up rules of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do based on their arbitrary uh, dictates and their wants and whims and likes or dislikes. And it's just the law that, that was before anyone decided to act as if they they could create the law. And that's part of what the, the term natural law means is anything in the universe that is a law is is natural because it's inherent in creation and we don't create it. And we're the only ones who are deluded enough to think that we can create law. We can replace this thing that's law in the universe that inherently exists. And we can use the same term in in a modality of existence where we get to create whatever we want to be the law, as opposed to recognize what already is, like gravity or thermodynamics or momentum or inertia or whatever laws that uh, have been discovered. You know, we're trying to act as as the, the source of those laws. So it's like saying that we're going to, we're the ones who are going to create gravity when gravity is already there. Well, that's when you. It's a bad word to use. Like maybe they could just use, well, these are the rules that we're going to create, but they actually have the hubris of calling it law. And that's acting as God, where you're going to be the creator of something that actually does exist in in the universe inherently, objectively, as all the various laws do. And then you take on that position. Oh, well, I'm going to be a lawmaker. I'm going to make laws. I'm going to create laws into existence that didn't exist before but just because I say, you know, that's the, the fiat looks, let there be light, or the fiat is let there be, they're acting as that, that word, the logos, of just creating whatever they want into existence as the law for behavior when there already is a law for behavior that can be derived based on the, uh, the recognition of the current condition of either degrees of freedom or degrees of uh, well, degrees of enslavement, which remove that state of true freedom.
0: You know, I think somewhere in there is where I, I get into. Uh, I think there's a lot of confusion on on folks' part because of okay, the term nature, right? Um, when we talk about natural, people tend to think of nature, and when we say there's pre-existing laws and rules in nature. I think where many folks' minds go to is the law of the jungle or the disorderliness that they see in some of nature's um, environments where, you know, animals are killing one another in a bloody way. And there's, um, you know, um, pretty gratuitous <laughs> actions going on in in nature often and um, like an ant colony or like a, A bee colony, for instance, it's all about the queen, right? The queen, you know, everybody has to die for the queen, you know, and so I think people get that a little confused. They're like, well, we don't want to act like nature, right? Because the rules in nature are like pretty hardcore. They kill each other. People totally put other, you know, some animals put other animals into a type of slavery, you know, or, you know, it's a do or die situation. And so I think that's kind of where the confusion lies for a lot of folks you agree? Yeah. Um, this is like
1: all the stuff I'm talking about. And, and part of that is part of what I'm going to be explaining in the upcoming presentations on natural law, the science of morality The next one on morality, then the law of freedom. And that's just the, the might makes right survival of the fittest, uh, fittest which is what uh, social Darwinism is based on where they extrapolate that to the social dimension of human interaction and All you have to do is think of, ask someone, is that how you want to live? Where it's just whoever's the strongest or whoever has the most strength in terms of numbers gets to just decide and impose whatever they want onto anybody else? Or do you actually think that there's better ways that you can actually discern or objectively a better way to live? And so when we talk about natural law, I think in people's... uh, automatic uh, jumping to a conclusion of relating it to uh, quote law of the jungle or the survival of the strongest or meanest or most bastardly and uh, most cruel and ruthless well we're not talking about that and one of the important things to mention is that it's it's all derived uh, like a backward uh, derivation from from the condition what condition do you want to live in do you want to live as a slave, or do you want to live in true freedom? And when you look at those two conditions, well, then you can like reverse engineer well, what creates those two conditions. And that's where you get to know what the rules are for behavior in order to create those conditions. So I don't think anyone in the right mind would say that they want slavery or want to be enslaved. Maybe some would be so uh, arrogant, making false claims that they want to Enslave others and they don't have a problem with enslaving others but I don't think anyone says that oh yeah I have no problem with being enslaved Um, even if they're ignorant of the current condition and everything they they obviously don't want to be like kept on a farm or in chains or kept in a box or whatever imprisoned so everyone's against that but they don't they don't see the the covert aspect of enslavement that we currently live in and they're not looking at the term Law as rules of conduct that anyone can just invent versus law as rules of conduct that are derived from that condition that you say you want or that you don't want. So if you don't want slavery, what are the rules and conditions for the conduct of behavior that would prevent that condition of slavery from manifesting and instead... uh, generating the condition of true freedom what are those rules because those rules for behavior would mean that you either align with those rules or you don't and if you do align with those rules once you can determine what they are then your actions and behavior are objective creations that you create with your hands uh, your body And those exist in reality for a specific moment in in time, unless they're repeated over and over, which is how we get uh, persistent enslavement. So that repetition of our behavior creates the the condition that we'll continually get. And Whatever we repeatedly allow, uh, such as uh, violence, will create a condition of repeat uh, violence and persistence it will create persistent enslavement, and that'll be the condition that we live in. So, if we want one or the other, we have to choose which behaviors we want to create, and that's objective. And the condition we create is objective as well—the condition of enslavement or the condition of freedom—and the very the, the plethora of varying sense. degrees in between that those two uh, those two endpoints. Well, true freedom is one is an absolute, and then enslavement has many variations and then you could think of something as the most horrible degree of evil as the, the like the most uh the farthest on that continuum for the, the spectrum of uh the negative spectrum of enslavement like I don't know what 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 could most horrible possible things we could imagine that you know maybe we don't want to go there but that'd be like the extreme that maybe we can never actually get to. And uh that's the the variation is where we keep moving in and We're we're having trouble getting to that true freedom because we're not understanding these dynamics of our behavior and how they create our condition.
0: Yeah. In my um, last presentation, I had one picture with the shovel and I talked about how, you know, we, we dig ourselves deeper in a hole. And and oftentimes in our society, in the world we're in, um, we think we're making things better, but we're actually making them worse. And one of those examples for me is voting or political crusading that i see going on where i think people even maybe like local elections i've had some disagreements with people about that they say you know this is the best we can do given the situation we're in and so a lot of it has to do with the context we're in and in the context of the situation we're in things are very much those lines are very much blurred nature's lines are are blurred because Humans have built so much facade, and um, we see situations where people have been getting away with really evil, horrid acts for many, many years, maybe even generations, and seemingly kind of getting away with it. Which I think in a lot of people's minds is sort of an argument against natural law. They're like, how come these rich, you know, wealthy people can get away with doing all these heinous things and never have to face the consequences? You know, and we see it's not like the cartoons where right when you do something wrong, you don't get struck with lightning or, you know, an uh, anvil doesn't fall on your head. You know, when if someone were to listen to your words carefully or mark words carefully, what we're saying is that it's not a direct um, translation like that. It's It happens in a cumulative way and everything's included. So the results of our action, the cause and effect actions aren't always easy to discern, especially in the context of a world where we're kind of being clowned constantly with a lot of fakery. But um, what I did bring up here, I'll show it on my screen here is, um, oh, I think I got to make me big for a minute so you can see this. Let me see. Can I do that? Yeah. Uh, Netter, the Egyptian word for God. Um, So netter is the, the root word of nature. And so what nature actually kind of comes from is um, netter and netter is nature. I mean, basically, um, you know, the relationship between humans and God. And so in the Egyptian definition, that would be, you know, all the things they interact with in nature, birds, trees, animals, um, everything around us. So um, is there a law to nature? And how do we relate to it? Well, you know, that that sounds like a big, difficult thing to think about, I think. But if we break it down to what I'm talking about here is our relationships with other human beings, not necessarily our relationship with animals and birds and minerals, although it all does matter. I do think it all does matter. But for the sake of being a human and living through this experience what we're really dealing with is relationships with other human beings. And I think that is where the essential nature of the law that we're talking about really applies. And the things that we do and say do matter. Otherwise, if they didn't, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to affect reality, but we do, we do affect reality. Everything we do and say affects reality. We can see, you know, we can change someone's mind. Someone can change our mind. We, you know, how could we say there's such thing as mind control if it wasn't possible to change minds? So, you know, the commonality is that we are changing reality by living, by existing. Everything we do and say is having an effect. And how do we want that effect to be? And are we honestly thinking that the effect of the things we do doesn't matter at all. And it's not going to come back around and affect us and other human beings. Well, we know it is otherwise we would just do whatever we want, you know? And so that to me is where, you know, it seems like really basic, obvious evidence for reality having, um, very, very direct, um, consequences and what we call objective morality that, Um, applies to us. Because if we do something to another human being, you know, there's something that's going to happen and you might be able to get away with certain actions for quite a long period of time, but there's always a result. It always a buildup and eventually it catches up in one way or another. So, um, you know, to me, I think what we're living in, I guess the point I'm getting at is that we're living in a very unnatural law situation. And we're trying to describe somebody um, what would be natural, but it has been so inverted and um, so repeated in a, in a tricky manner, in um, obscuring the truth manner and then the media being controlled and religions um, controlling the minds of people and so on to the point where people are having trouble discerning that such a reality even exists. Um, I hope I made some sense. Chris, you're um, very direct in the way you speak. Maybe you can break that all down to a neater <laughs> graph. <laughs> I'm all over the place, I feel like, when I talk to you because you're so um, good at putting things together in a um simple and succinct way.
1: Um, yeah, well, that's the, that's why, like, if people have an aversion to, or a confusion with the word natural, you can omit that word completely and just say law, or even more specific is moral law, because there's the, the word natural law, which is what I'll be explaining in, like, three presentations from now. I'm not at that point. I've broken everything up into different segments but the one i'm going to talk about on natural law the term itself well there's two aspects to the natural law one is um the moral law which is just a law the rules of conduct and you like i was saying you reverse engineer that understanding from one of the other natural laws not the natural law the moral law or just law in terms of our behavior which is what has been um hijacked by the, uh, the belief in authority and the authoritarians all throughout history where they think that they can be the ones who create that law rather than looking at objective reality and the condition and choosing which condition you want to create or that we want to co-create. And that's the actual law. That's the rules of the actual rules of conduct for the condition that you want to create. And people don't want slavery. Well, they want freedom. Well, that takes a lot of responsibility and that's one of the things that you've alluded to when you talk to people where they they refer, they they, uh, they see it as the law of the jungle and they don't want all that chaos well who says we need the government to have order the reason that people run to that is cuz they don't want the responsibility and the complexity of organizing their lives and interactions with others in a non-coercive manner that's based in in principles of morality, where you can attain that end result of the condition of true freedom, so they accept degrees of enslavement because it's more—it's uh, less responsibility, so they don't have to grow up. It's less complexity, and they just hand it off to someone else. Enslave me a bit, uh, you know. Um, as long as it's not beating me seven days a week, I'll take two days a week, and that's acceptable to me. So then you can beat me two days a week, you know, as the metaphor goes and the analogy goes, and then uh, that's fine. And as long as I don't have to manage my own life and my interactions with everyone and people just think it's so complicated and, oh, what about the rich people? People get away with it. Well, they wouldn't get away with it if we didn't let them get away with it instead of taking that responsibility onto ourselves and organizing. Because either way, you know, the the way I look at it and what I'll be presenting is that if you look at democracy – Majority rule. There's nothing wrong with it. That's actually the default in reality itself. Is whatever the numbers say that that's what the condition will be geared towards or move towards. Whatever the majority do. So it can be if the majority are uh, applying negative modalities of behavior, uh, which would be immorality, then that's the number game of the majority or the mob rule in a negative sense where that's going to be what ends up being created. But instead of that negative modality, if you have a positive modality where the majority are acting positively and they understand how to deal with the manifestations of of, uh, immorality and evil and deal with it, then you could actually reach that true freedom. But because people don't want that responsibility, well then... The immorality is tolerated first of all through the belief in authority, where we externalize our responsibility and try to give it to other people, which we can't actually do because we're the only ones that are responsible for our own behavior. And then that leads into the police and the military, where they think they can. I'm I'm not responsible. I'm just doing my job. Oh no no go go take it up with uh, the order giver. You know, I'm just uh, I'm just a little robot. That's all I am. I'm not responsible for my behavior. I'm just getting paid and this is my job. You know, if you oh you got a problem with what I do, well uh, go 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 take it up with the politicians. They're the most childlike, the most irresponsible, the most immature because they're the ones who are the enforcers of the sorcerers who are just mostly blabbing away, putting ideas in people's heads, writing things down, putting ideas in people's heads that way or writing things this law now exists and then they pay people and like, okay, well you go enforce this law. Yes, sir, okay, I'll oh you're not obeying that law. I'm gonna beat you down for running away for smoking a joint or something, put you in a cage for smoking smoking weed or whatever other
0: nonsense and Or you're stepping on the wrong side of the line there. You know, I think you know, on, oh wait, well, you what Well, you know, they're creating borders, right? Um it's so oh, yeah, arbitrary. Yeah, right. You could be have 1 foot on one side of one border and 1 foot on the other and someone could claim that they could shoot one of your feet off because you know your foot's not supposed to be on the other side of that line. You know, it's pretty silly when you think about it that way. Um it's one thing to live in an area for a time and be the person that lives there and that's obvious and everyone knows that, but it's another thing to draw all these arbitrary line, lines around the whole earth, you know, and you know, people are just making claims and then backing it up with violence. And we're so used to doing this for so long on such a large scale that it the, the problem is grandiose at this point. And I think that's where people kind of balk because we're saying, OK, you're going to take personal responsibility for the situation. And people are imagining, OK, if we stopped having the rulers we have now, it's going to be chaos. Everybody's just going to be turning into a bunch of gangs. It's going to be madness. And I don't know how to defend myself in that situation. And that's part of the problem. Most people are not trained in self-defense or self-sufficiency. So we have a situation that's a hot mess, right? Because, you know, the quicker we were to transition away from authoritarianism right now, there would be um, some difficulties, major difficulties people would have to um, bridge the gap. And um, most folks aren't ready to do that, nor do they really want to. So it's a situation where we're willing to justify or give up the higher ideal in order for the context of what people call reality, which is actually a non-reality. And that's something I really um, got from Mark Passio. Here, let me show you this um, slide here. I'll make it big so we can see it. This is Mark's. No, can I do that? Eventually, I'll figure out how to do that, Chris, and keep you in here. But in the meantime, let me see if I can turn you back on. Why does it never want to do what I want it to do? Well, I'll keep pressing. Come on, restream. We'll get the, get the there you go. That's what I want you to do, restream. And that was um, a government slideshow tab, but that's not the one I was going for. It shifted on me. I'm always trying to learn new things in technology and it's always doing weird things to me. But, um, let me see, can I switch to where I was getting to? This is, um, slides from Mark Passio's presentation on natural law. And I found some that really, um, stuck out. Um, diagnosis is a good one. That was one that Leslie noticed as we were looking through them together. Um, By the way of knowledge, learning things by way of knowledge. That's a really important aspect to what we're talking about. Responsibility. um, Knowing what your rights are. Um, Here we go. This is where I was looking for what Mark calls the natural law transgressions. uh, Murder, rape, theft, trespassing, coercion. Um, Everybody knows these things are wrong. But man's law has all these justifications. Um, we can go to war, we can put people in jails, we can pull people out of their houses, all these kind of workarounds over these basic moral laws that we should all know. But, um, we're in a state of denial, you know. Okay. This is the slide I was actually on when I was trying to bring over and we were talking here, Chris. Um, that there is occult knowledge and the deep, the deepest, most Interesting aspect of the hidden knowledge in our um, the context of our world is that natural laws, the unseen universal spiritual laws. We all know about the wrongness, like I said, of theft, murder, rape, killing, and yet we have all these weird rules set up in courthouses and lawyers and um, all these structures of the modern world that um, justify these things in a million ways, where the deepest most secret knowledge of all is that that's all bullshit you know it really comes down to your right to have your own body and your right to not be um disrupted in that right (laughs) and no one else has that unless you give it to them and um you know we've been kind of throwing it around willy-nilly so um yeah, that's a that's a pretty good slide there that I was looking for. Any comments on that, Chris? Sure, I have a,
1: a version of that where I uh, like at the top is uh, where where you're empowered. It doesn't need to be well. That's where that's how it is right now. There, where it can be even each of us, where we have the the few people understand things. So you know those who've learned about a lot, or even the dark occultists, well, they have a lot of knowledge, and at the bottom is the ignorant people, most people. And um, so at the bottom, when you're ignorant, well, you're confused, but when you're at the top, when you have the understanding, well, you're empowered. So they use that knowledge and understanding as a way to empower themselves in their actions, even though they're not physically creating the violence, they have the, the order followers for that, but they are the mental manipulators, the mind sorcerers, where they are empowered with that knowledge, so they use words and uh, they write things down and they influence people, the power of influence, influencing others through their dark care and their lowercase will instead of a higher, truer, realer will in alignment with uh, moral law. And uh, part of the occulted knowledge is the, the minor and uh, the major, which is, as uh, in that slide, the, the function and behavior of individual consciousness is the minor aspect. That's the, the the micro level where we're at. And then the macro level is the the natural laws governing the consequences of behavior, and those come from outside of us. So the function and the behavior that we create individually, and then we have to align with the understanding of what our behaviors create, and that would be the the moral law, and the other um, closely linked aspects of that moral law, like the the natural law of freedom. With uh, morality creates more morality creates more freedom, more immorality creates more enslavement, and uh, yeah, that was my version that I had made based on. Pasio's work as well.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think the um, direct translation in our day-to-day life, I think everybody knows deep down because we have a conscience. And our conscience is what I like to call our divine crystal. And that's, you know, the way I describe it is it is it's a conduit to... To the, uh, like a direct line to reality, you know, to the all, God itself. We come from that. We're part of that, right? Like, so it's in us. So I think everybody has an inkling and an understanding of natural law. It's not something that's, um, that doesn't exist in every human being. It's part of our makeup of what we are. But it's being, like you said, ignored or, um, evaded or blurred in so many ways and there's been um, a habit and a ritual of ignoring it right ignoring that that if we're part of something that also means that we are doing it ourselves to an extent right so um, when we say we the people and we join this um, this idea of this conglomerate of this um, big giant thing that is supposed to be a thing all on of its own, you know, like our country. And I, it's funny that more I've become conscious of that, the way we, t- people talk, they say, we, you know, we shouldn't have done that. You know, like back when um, the U S bombed Japan, for instance, right. Uh, we, we shouldn't have done that. And it's like, did you do that? Cause I didn't, you know, nor did I intend to, nor did I wish to, why would I be included in that? We, it's a very fantastical way of thinking actually that's um it's working in the in the realm of the imagination, and we are so used to doing it because from the time we were in school, we were standing up and saying, "We the people," and saying these uh repetition um of these phrases right, and it gets us used to this kind of globalized thinking where we make decisions as a group and we vote someone, but this is all kind of non reality it you you can't really control people. You know, unless you kill them or rape them or murder them, unless you break the natural law. And when you do that, that creates a a worse situation for everyone, including yourself and people kind of pretending like that's not the case. And we're not going downhill further. The more we do those things and the more we call ourselves, we instead of taking individual responsibility, the further we go down that road. Um, So in my mind, things aren't really better now. Than they've ever been, or getting better, like a lot of people see they are. I would like to hope they can, but in order for that to happen, we would be seeing um, a sea change in people's behavior that we're really not seeing. Um, How would you see things actually changing, Chris, if we started, if people did start to embrace natural law? I'm curious, could you imagine at all how that might progress in the best case scenario?
1: I can imagine. Certain aspects of it, but it's it's a future that doesn't exist, so you can envision some ways that you could do things like, for example, without money. You could envision, well, how could we do things without money? I think that's one of the last steps. Um, government would uh, erode first before we'd figure out a way to actually coexist uh, without money. So that'd be like one of the end steps and we'd have to figure that out. You know, um, how are we going to build roads? Well, this is one of the aspects that you can think about. Well, So these are the, one of the big problems that people have with uh, their apologetics and their excuses for continuing their enslavement and supporting the enslavement of others. is well, Who would build the roads? Well, the government isn't the one building the roads. There's people building the roads. It's just that the money that the government uses is stolen from you. So what if instead of stealing the money from you, you voluntarily decide to provide the money in order to build the roads? And then you can come up with, uh, well, what about the freeloaders? What if it's only 10 people? Well, okay. If it's only 10 people, then the roads don't get built. What if it's a hundred thousand people and, what if it's only 10% of people and then 90% of people get a free ride? Okay, well, then you can envision, well, here's the other alternatives that we can do if those 10% fund the roads. Well, with technology, um, I'm not saying this has to be, you know, you could do, I'll, I'll start with the, the, the absolute benevolent way, which maybe we'll get there in consciousness or whatever. Like, I, I yeah, if If 10% of people do it, maybe they just do it out of the goodness of their own hearts and they wouldn't want anything in return and that's fine. But even reaching that point, well, why would it only be 10% and not everyone contributing voluntarily or the majority of people? And so I don't think uh, aggregately humanity would be at a level of consciousness which which support that um, end goal that we're trying to get to of more harmonious living. So yeah, we're not there yet. So say it's only 10% and say that they weren't Um, angels, you know, and just uh, giving of themselves while everyone else does nothing. Well, how could they ensure that there would be a return, say, for what they put forward and other people are using without contributing? Well, with technology, there is RFIDs you could put. So uh, humanity would already be rid of government, right, at this point, you know. So we don't have to worry about that and all the centralization of control. It's people freely doing something. So they're building a road. And if you want access to it, well, you could pay for access to it. That's just another possibility. Or with RFID, you wouldn't even have to. You could, um, because you can't monitor it if people just pay for it. How would you know who paid and who didn't pay for access to it? Whatever, however amount, $100 a year, I don't know, whatever it would be. It's arbitrary. These are just uh, possibilities of ways to do it without government. And then you could say, well, people who pay for it could have an RFID chip in their car. And you could put it in the road, the scanners in the road. And so instead of using it as a means of control, which the government wants to in order to monitor and control everything, well, you could just use it as, well, I did, a bunch of us got together and built this thing for everyone to benefit from in order for uh, us, in order to to have more of like a a reciprocity for what the 10% put forward from everybody else. Well, if you want to use the road, well here, pay a minimal amount and you could have put this chip in your car, and then when you go through, well, then you're you're added to a, a contribution list, and then it gets put on a blockchain or something, and then everyone gets to see that like, hey, this person didn't pay it originally, you know, but then they're paying to use it yearly, so then they, it's more like a um, like an appreciation or gratitude list or something where. The people who do contribute, well, they can get recognition. What is it? Uh, Reputation. Yeah, reputation. Reputation could be a form of currency. In addition, as we evolve out of money. Anyways, there's all these possibilities of other ways to do it that are non-coercive. And since you do something, there's still property. So if you build something and other people want access to it, you could charge a fee or you could just be an angel and let everyone use it. Anyways, there's all, all our possibilities that don't involve using government. That's my point is that you can envision multiple different avenues pathways that we could go towards to building roads where even if not everyone contributes and there's only some people well there's a way for those people to be compensated or in different ways and it's all something that we would have to agree upon and there's just different ways to do it is, is my point I'm not saying one's the way to do it and the other one's bad or whatever it's just they're all better than basically being stolen from and to to do things that you don't want to be done with your money, like go, go to war, bomb people, invade countries, steal the resources. You know, no, I don't think any, um, well, any of <laughs> any of us want it, but most people in society don't really have an issue because they're still buying into the false narratives of, uh, for freedom and all this stuff. So they support the war, support mm-hmm. our troops and all this nonsense bullshit.
0: Um, well, you know, I have seen on the roads topic, you know, when you get out of cities and you get further into the country, you, you have situations where people have shared access. Um, and I've seen situations where four or five, six people live off the same road and the bridge gets ruined. And those four or five, six people have to figure out how to get together and get that bridge fixed. And usually one or two of them are kind of the more low life types that don't help or don't chip in. But the other three, four or five, figure it out and they work together and they have a strong bond and they kind of keep an eye on that one guy they don't trust so much. Now they know who to keep an eye on, you know, things have a way of balancing themselves out when people do are put in those situations where they have to take responsibility. I've seen situations on the road where there's some, something happens, there's some accident and there's no, you know, authoritarian um, help around. There's no police or military and people, make the best decisions they can and someone takes charge and you know i think the more people were used to doing that the more we would um get better at it you know there were times in the past before fire departments were what they are now and you saw fire you'd stop and grab a bucket and join the brigade You join the bucket brigade and um that's just how things were done by necessity you know places where it's really cold you know when you use the last stick of wood and you're about to head out into the woods you make sure and leave some wood by the fire for the next person because they might die if you don't you know and so you know there's codes of conduct there's always even all a lot of our law that now when you start looking to a lot of these uh, disagreements people are having about how to handle things in court um you see a lot of it comes back to this admiralty law right whereas like this there was sort of this law of the seas that was just generally known by people on the ocean that there's certain rules of engagement and trade that almost everybody does. And the rare person that doesn't, well, you know, it's on then because they're trying to rob you. And it's a fight, you know, and you shouldn't be out there if you don't have any kind of preparation to defend yourself. But what I really hate about the structure we have now is it's more and more trying to do one size fits all. Um, this unnatural law is trying to force the same rules down everybody's throat. We want the same kind of roads, here as in every other state or all across the state when you know there's different environments there's people making different amount of money you're in a desert here in a mountainous area there maybe in some areas we don't need the damn road and people just drive better vehicles that can handle areas without roads and that will cut down on the cars that's not such a bad idea in some areas you know it depends and um you know, when people in the area that are where, that are dealing with it or that are in the situation that happens are the only ones that are able really to reflect inside and say what's really going on here and then compare that to the bigger picture. Whereas if you look at a piece of paper and let that decide, that leaves a lot of room for error. So, um, you know, I got a message from Corey Andrelat and he had done a whole presentation on unnatural law. And so I thought I'd scroll through some of that and just to give us a a little more, um, things to discuss. And, um, then we'll finish up after that, but let me see if I can do it right this time and bring Corey's. Oh, look, it actually shows up pretty decent that way. How about that? His unnatural law presentation up and, um, take a look at that. So, um, What he did, I think, was he took um, Mark Passio's presentation and kind of, like, looked at it from the opposite point of view, you know. And um, I thought he did a pretty cool job on that, so I wanted to show off some of his work here. Um, If you see anything that jumps out at you, go ahead and jump in, Chris. I'm just going to scroll down a little bit.
1: Yeah, I watched it
0: uh, too. Two weeks ago?
1: Three weeks ago? Well, over several nights. But uh, yeah, he did a good job um, juxtaposing the the natural law versus the unnatural one that deluded people think that they can create and force everyone else to obey.
0: The belief of unnatural law is within and due to the ignorance of the masses. Where therein, it is due to the fact they lack occult knowledge of human consciousness which governs the consequences of human behavior. So I think that's a big thing. You know, there's a denial. Um, Really, what it comes down to is whether we deny that or not. You know, do we recognize it or do we deny it, that there is consequences to human action, right? And I think the easiest way is to ask, well, what would happen If there was no consequences, you know, if we did live in a world where there was no consequences, how would it be different? You know, and you can try to imagine, you know. Okay, here's the one I was looking for. Um, His definitions of unnatural, non-inherent, having little to no basis in nature, reality and truth. Made or caused by humankind, not natural, at variance with moral standards. And law is an existing condition which is binding and immutable, cannot be changed. So, you know, you ask yourself, you know, when we're talking about the modern world we live in, how, how natural is it? Do, um, do the laws we live by, are they changeable? Can they be changed? And if so, is that the type of thing that we should live by, is <laughs> the ultimate question, right?
1: Yeah, definitely not. But when you, if you structure it, if people, I guess that's a good point you can bring up with people, like natural law, what do you mean? The law of the jungle, the survival of the strongest and most ruthless. Okay, so you don't like that term, so what do you prefer, unnatural law? You could like juxtapose that to them. You don't think natural law is good? Do you think unnatural law is good? And then you could say, well, if it's unnatural, then it's not law. Those two words are are almost, di- I guess you could pretty much say they're, they're diametrically opposed because a law, like I've been saying since the beginning, is a law is inherent in nature. It's not something that we created, it exists before. A deluded mind says that, well, this is the law and you're going to live by it or else I'm going to do something bad to you. Um, the unnatural part is that it's, it's not part of nature. Whereas the the law itself, that's why you could not even say natural law. You could just say law, law proper, and law improper is the diluted one that we create because law itself, gravity, the law of gravity. Well, did humans create it? No. The law of momentum? No. The law of equilibrium. Any law you can think of in in existence, human beings did not create it. All we did was discover it. So when you put natural before it, it's just to emphasize that it's natural that it was there before us, and we didn't create it. But people get—they conf- don't even understand the the simple aspect of combining natural with law. But then, if you just say law, well, then they're just going to think, oh yeah, judges and lawyers and courts. So there's there's a whole explanation that needs to be reclarified because obfuscation, like in the the end of all evil, you know, obfuscation is one of the methodologies of mind control that Passio talks about too in his fourteen points of mind control. And, uh, the obfuscation of words, we need clearer definitions. And that's why, you know, you mentioned conscience before that, yeah, we have an innate conscience, um, like an emotional compass, but that's been deadened to us. And especially when it regards non human animals, because naturally uh, a child isn't going to want to just go around killing animals, hopefully. Um, and we have to, deaden that natural aspect of feeling empathy for another psychological being. That's how I refer to them as uh, psychological beings because they have an aspect of of, uh, psychology, even though it's much lesser than ours. And we can recognize parts of ourselves, not as much as we can recognize in other humans, but we can recognize many qualities such as emotions. Uh, They can cry, they can jump around in joy and have fun and play. And we can empathize and we can connect on a compassionate level, seeing parts of ourselves in the other and not want to harm them because we can see that when we harm them, there's a, a consequence and we can see that manifest physiologically in their response, just like in human animals, we can see that manifest. So that part is deadened is is conditioned out of us in many ways, or if people become hunters, they 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 feel it, but then they suppress it so that they can do what they need to do, for for example, for survival. Or even nowadays, it's not even about survival. It's just a, a desire. And uh, survival does not equal morality. As we all know, that's not what dictates morality. Morality is supposed to dictate how you behave. not Your, your need to survive doesn't equal to what is moral to do. Like uh, a Nazi says, uh, shoot this baby in the head or I kill you. Well just because you shoot the baby in the head for survival so that you can survive doesn't make it moral. That's a simple explanation of how anything you do for survival does not equal equate to what is moral. What is moral is supposed to dictate what your choices are, so you say no, I'm not going to shoot the baby in the head, shoot me. And then, you know, the the whole the whole mindfuck of of the psychopath is trying to get you to do evil and then they don't have to do it but they're mind manipulating you through fear in order to get you to do something evil. And okay, they'll, they'll just kill you and then they'll go down the line and kill everyone until someone accepts. And then there's a threat. There's always an inherent in threat
0: there. in there. It, you know, it's like that yeah. uh, people will, in philosophy, they'll say, okay, you're in a train and you're going 100 miles an hour down the track. And if you click the thing to the left, you're going to run over a baby. And if you click the thing to the right, you're going to run over 10 people. You know, what do you do? And it's like, well, yeah, that's I'm not driving dilemma. the damn train it's because it's going to kill somebody. You know, I wouldn't put myself in that position. I would die before someone forced me to drive that damn train. So, you know, they're they're always trying to put you in the scenario or the situation where it's an if or, you know. But yeah, it's, it's all based negotomy. on a false facade to begin with, right? Yeah.
1: You only have two choices: save one person or save ten. Which one do you choose? Right. Well, I'm I'm not. I didn't set the train in motion. I didn't put those one person or those 10 people on the tracks. So whichever way the train goes in actuality and reality, I didn't create that situation. So I didn't initiate a, a behavior that would inherently result in harm to the one person or the 10 people. I didn't set up that scenario. Now, I could get involved and say, well, I will choose to save the 10 people or... You know, pull the train lever and stop the train so it doesn't run over either of them. You know, there's all there's usually multiple possibilities, or you could it could be a situation where you can't stop the train. Anyways, these hypotheticals are are ways that they try to, I guess, box people in a in a thought experiment to try to negate the the truth the moral of implications law how it that hurt
0: when you when you yeah by trying really to say oh well you're it.
1: gonna you're gonna kill the one person instead of the ten yeah but it's you're making a choice, or you could choose to do nothing and then just let it run over the 10 people. But you're not the one who who created that situation, so you're ultimately not the one who's morally responsible at a at a primary level, at a basic moral level of not initiating harm. Sure, you could look at it as, well, you didn't do anything to help those 10 people and and harm the one instead, so that would be a secondary or whatever, tertiary. It would be a, a subsequent level of... Um, responsibility that you chose not to engage in with your behavior to um, divert it to take one life instead of 10 but it's not the same as you're the one who went and killed those 10 people or you made it happen now someone else who's evil who had evil intentions set up that scenario tied people to a train track or whatever and they're the ones who are ultimately responsible so in many situations in life we can choose to get involved or we can not get involved, and that's always a lesser degree of um, responsibility to help others than the original initiator, the one who has more moral culpability that actually created the evil. So these moral dilemmas, I can I can talk about them and explain things in more detail for
0: whoever wants to try that on <laughs> me. But... <laughs> You know, it's always uh
1: I just thought it, it's the interesting it's things applicable
0: because it, it does sort of describe this scenario, the situation we're in where, you know, if you voted and if you're going along with statism, then you are, you know, feeding into this system that's bombing, killing, raping, you know, and some of us are even doing that to an extent that we don't want to be doing it. And it's like they're stealing from me when they're taking money out of my check that I didn't want to give them. And I'm saying, I don't want you to have it. But, you know, it's, it's relative to where we're at and, and the ability, um, what we have to do about the situation. Speaking out, I think, is part of the magic we have to start to change things. And that's the part where I'm trying to encourage people. You know, the more we speak about these things, the more we're vocal. And the more we, um, learn to explain it in different ways and break apart these words, the more we can kind of, um, make the edges not so blurry on what is naturally within us and that we will come back to naturally one way or another. Now, um, the last kind of point I wanted to make is on Christianity. I think, um, a lot of the confusion personally, um, that I've seen around natural laws because Natural laws equated with God, like I said, um, comes from the Egyptian word netter, which was describing the relationship with everything around us, birds, animal, nature, um, wind, and God, their word for God, basically, right? But then, you know, Christianity comes along and it really mucks up this whole God thing and that saying God is only this thing we've described, you know, and they've put a very... um, you know, just like every other religion, they say they want you to understand God the way they want you to understand it. So, partly so you give them their money and partly so you <laughs> sign up with their way of doing things. But, um, I think because of cultural religions, the idea of God has been kind of confused and mucked, you know, and it doesn't mean that you have to do a certain thing on Sunday or that you have to wear your hair a certain way or any of these kind of things, you know, and I, these are rules. These aren't, these aren't moral laws. You know, the moral law is don't harm other sentient beings, you know, and that's not something that needs to be written down for us to understand it. And so a lot of understanding what I'm talking about, the divine, that's why I use the term the divine or, um, our crystal. You know, sometimes I talk about our, our divine crystals because I know that word God has been so mucked up by, um, religious Over and over, all kinds of religions. And they don't get it all wrong. Some of the stuff in religions is right. And that's why people flock to it and like it, because there is a realness to it. But when they add the extra stories and requirements and say, oh, now because you're uh, a so-and-so, now you have to do this and that and give us your money and you know, uh, move when we say move and jump when we say jump. And that's the way these things get contorted. So I would ask listeners to reconsider what God really means without the context of religion and just with your natural heart and your natural mind and consciousness and look at it that way. And natural law starts to make perfect sense. And um, what we didn't get into in this episode is the hermetic principles. And I think that's probably going to be our next um, follow up roundtable talk. But I'll hand it back to you, Chris. For um, closing thoughts and um, remarks, um, people check out Chris Nelson's work, EvolveConsciousness.org, and, um, yeah, take the floor, Chris.
1: Um, Yeah, regarding the first thing that you started with, that's what my next presentation on morality is going to be. I'm going to uh, dissect the different levels of immorality and, and morality, and I call them I1, I2, and M1 and M2, and then there's I1, B, and I1. I one A and I one A1 and I one A2. Anyways, it'll be explained in more detail in there in the the different regarding being coerced into paying taxes or um, your participation in evil versus tolerating evil. And to combat tolerating evil is to do the great work or engage in self-defense, physical self-defense and intellectual self-defense. And participating in evil has to do with directly creating it or indirectly through voting when you perpetuate uh, the system of, of evil and enslavement. And um, regarding Christianity, that ties back to the, what you said earlier about the we. That's collectivism, as it gets you to feel like you're part of something greater than yourself. And that's what a lot of people want to be, uh, part of something. They want to feel like they belong. They want to feel like they, they are part of something that's larger than just themselves, that they're part of something bigger and that's more meaningful and has more purpose because they don't have that inner purpose that they've determined themselves like, like doing the great work to try to end evil, that's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's the highest purpose that we all share. No matter what individual um, personal ends and goals and purposes that we have in our own lives, the ultimate one that we all share is to try to create a moral world of true freedom by working on the ending of evil to remove evil from existence. And uh, I guess that's where I'll end it. Awesome.
0: Yeah. And we can all work on it every day, every moment. It's our opportunity. And, um, you know, when you get passionate about something that really matters, it makes you feel good. So um, I recommend people, you know, Start looking at your own life. Use your own imagination and look at what you can do to change yourself, to take more responsibility in your personal life. And um, if nothing else, speaking with others about what these words mean is huge. And that's part of the work that we have to do is to work through this rhetoric and um, learn to use the magic of words to explain and make our point without having to force ourselves upon others and make them do things the way we want them to do that, you know, so um, just got to keep working on it and finding more folks that we can talk to and who are willing to have that discussion. So if you're a listener today, thanks so much for joining us on the end evil podcast and, um, get involved. I will be back next week and the the week following, and there's going to be plenty of opportunities to, um, join us. You can get in on the chat and, um, helps help you know, help us understand and discern truth. We can do it together. The more of us that are working on it, the the better it gets. So thanks Chris so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate having your presence and um, look forward to our next discussion. Welcome. Glad to be here. Have a good night, everybody. All right. All right everybody, have a good night. Later on. Well.
1: I'm, I'm in a prison. I'm in a prison. I'm in a mental prison
0: and a physical one at that, and definitely a spiritual one, whether that's recognized at a conscious level or not. As I wake from my sleep, this situation's got me thinking: world well, end, the and all life, missing, extinction, the evil, creature, in your dream, the secret, throwing me. Control for the teens, now they got you on your knees. I'm making my way through the zones and maze, but I'm dazed by mass confusion. All the images that they're using. As the rest wait to the tip of the top of your head. The fear of calling in you know to this low level of spiritual awareness such that these methods can have any effect over us. Hey friends, I just wanted to talk to you for a quick minute of <laughs> about, <clears> throat> 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 about something that has made a huge difference in my life. Uh, I have I was stuck doing the nine-to-five grind. I was doing work, you know, collecting a paycheck, and I was frustrated with it. I was frustrated with seeing the taxes come out before I had a chance to do anything about it. And I was frustrated with just, like, being a number and being an employee. And I really wanted to work for myself and change that aspect of my life, um, working towards more freedom, you know? And more independence, more self-reliance, and so I was looking for ways to get out of that grind, that daily eight, nine to five, you know, forty-hour week type job working for someone else. And the way I found um, a huge inroad towards becoming a freelancer, which is what I do a lot of my time now, is through autonomy. And um, this man, Richard Grove, who you see pictured here, um, is an amazing teacher, and he teaches uh, twelve-week, le- twelve weeks. Sometimes 14, 15-week lectures um, each week, each Friday night. And um, when you join up with Autonomy, you have like access to hundreds, probably thousands, maybe even more hours of instructional videos, courses, um, other students that have created courses, and um, just about everybody in the Truth Movement that Richard has connected with at one time or another and recorded tutorials, lessons, and, um, you know, ultimate history lesson with John Gatto. Anyway, it just goes on and on. It opened a lot of doorways for me. I met people. Um, I got opportunities to do freelancing work and get paid for it online. And now I do graphic arts and I do shadow hosting for Autonomy and Autonomy Unlimited. And I'm proud to say that, um, you know, I get to make my schedule now And that's huge I don't work for some company And I don't work for some government And um, I choose when I work And you can too I recommend checking out Autonomy um, Go on over to Endevil.life It's the best way to find it Click on one of my episodes And um, right there on the right You know, you can donate to my show Cash app there right under that um, is the Autonomy button. And if you click that button, it'll take you on to the page where you can read up about it. And um, you're going to want to click the button down at the bottom here, Experience Autonomy. And that'll get you on your way. This is um, the Obstacle Course. When you take the Obstacle Course, you know, they don't want... Oh, that was just good. anybody no, in um, autonomy. It's got to be the right fit. You know, you got to be someone that cares about freedom. You got to be someone that's willing to, um, you know, interact with some other. Oh, people you heard yourself some saying that. Things. <laughs> and so, um, check it out. See if it's right for you. But I'm telling you, it changed, changed my, my life. life.